1: Hey, welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. Yes, it's me, Samson Folk. And today, a very special episode because I've been bringing on my pals this year. And when I tell you this guy has good takes, watches a lot of hoops, and should be able to present them in you know an entertaining way, I really mean it. Trey, how the hell are you, man? I'm good, man. It's been a, been a long time coming. Thanks for having me on the pod. I mean, we, we had to do it. We just had to figure out if you wanted to do it first. I mean, you're a your generational marketing whiz. We, we didn't even know if you had
0: time, really. Oh, man, that was that, that big, big praise. I, I hope I follow through.
1: <laughs> okay, so we've had two games since the All-Star break. And I, I wouldn't call basketball depressing, but it, I would say they were deflating because of the, I don't know, perceived... Inertia, momentum, whatever that the Raptors had going into the break. They'd, they'd won a lot of games. They'd been playing good basketball and they come out and drop two stinkers. The first of which is against Charlotte. I know you watch a lot of the Hornets. So what did you think about that game and maybe the implications of a possible play in game between these two teams?
0: I would say, like, first off, I just want to say like, I guess like a lot of people close to me would know like Charlotte is like my second team. They're like my mistress. The Raptors are, or my wife, but <laughs> um, like the biggest thing they they just didn't show up. Shot really been struggling. They've had injuries with Gordon Hayward being out, Jalen McDaniels, and right right around the All Star break, it looked like they were gonna fall out the play in. Simply just because the the crazy shots that they were hitting in the beginning of the year just weren't falling, and coupled with being a poor defensive team, it looked like with a tough schedule they weren't gonna be able to. Muster enough enough wins to be around five hundred, but to like the Raptors game all those shots that they were taking above the break on a drag screen were hitting over and over again, and the Raptors with injuries just weren't able to muster up like that. That way that Charlotte comes through when they're on fire. Lamelo didn't even play that great, like scoring wise. He was able to play make for his team, but Terry Rozier was able to hit threes at a, at a crazy rate with Fred hurt. Pascal I think he had the flu. If oh, I'm mistaken. Um, we just weren't able to show up uh, On a playing perspective, I do think we match up really well. Charlotte struggles with size, and the Raptors have like this odd, odd combinations where literally they play everyone with size. They're not the greatest rebounding team. They don't have um, great interior defense. So I do think like with Pascal fully healthy, um, Boucher, Precious, being able to crash the glass, I do think we'll be able to get offensive rebounds at a significant rate and we'll be able to probably beat them, barring a, a crazy shooting night again from them.
1: Okay. And so when I watch that game, one of the things that I think is a focus for any team playing the Hornets is limiting their transition offense or their fast break offense, even because LaMelo is at his most valuable when he's making dynamic reads and you can kind of limit those dynamic reads in the half court. Did you think that the Raptors kind of failed in that regard? last? Well,
0: not last night, but in the last time they played the Hornets? Oh, definitely. Like, Charlotte, when they play with pace and they're moving the ball, they're very difficult to stop because they – Borrego does a really good job of making you defend all five players. They, they have constant action going on, even when they're moving in transition. And now that since they did the Montrezl Herald trade, they have, like, a consistent – um, interior finisher who can finish off these mellow lobs, and we we basically saw that the second half. Like Montrezl just kept destroying us inside over and over again. Similar to the the Wizards game, I think that was the first game of the season. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I don't think it's a, a long term concern, but just coming off the break, facing a team that's really young and and plays as fast as they do is just was super challenging.
1: Yeah, it's uh it was tough to watch, man. There was a lot of people who were like, I'm turning this game off. And obviously I'm not able to do that (laughs) because I have to talk about (laughs) every game afterwards. Uh, Let's move on to Atlanta. So we get to play Trey young. So the end of the game that the Raptors beat the Hawks in where Trey was available, and then they had also beat them when Trey wasn't there, the Raptors switched three pick and roll actions. One was with Pascal Siakam onto Trey young and two were with OG and onto Trey young and he stonewalled Trey twice. And you can't extrapolate that into, oh, he'd do that the full game, but OG was gone. And the Raptors threw a bunch of different looks at Trey. They they did a lot of drop, both with Kem and with Precious to varying degrees of effectiveness. They did they defended at the level of the screen. They did switch the blitz. And then the Horn, sorry, the Hawks were just like, yeah, we're just gonna ISO Trey. And he killed Fred, Gary, Scotty, Malachi. And for whatever reason, Chris Boucher got the, got the assignment for one <laughs> possession. And so, what did you think about that, man?
0: Um, yesterday was crazy because that was probably like the, the most dominant star performance I think we've seen in a Raptors game in quite some time. Like what Trey Young was able to do, especially without John Collins. It's very it's very rare that the Raptors allow a star player to really have like one of their best games of the season the whole philosophy is letting somebody else beat you. And for him to be able to consistently get by great defenders like Fred, Pascal, Precious did a pretty good job on him. Um, But he was able to freeze everybody with in-drop defense by disguising his floater and finishing it into a a lob pass or finishing with that actual floater. It's a shot that he does every single game, and you know exactly how the Hawks play every single time, but you can't stop it. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 do, I do think with OG, the game would have been different. We, we obviously would have been able to funnel him into a Pascal or to a Precious with a a, lot, a very strong defender like OG, all NBA defender. But I, I do think it's consistent of what the, happened with the Hornets game. We allowed them to, to play in the, the style that they wanted to and then consistently scored over and over again.
1: What did you think about the adjustment to go from running the pick and roll to genuinely, I was tracking all of the pick and roll possessions, whether they were and how they defended it. And I realized, you know, at the end of the second quarter around there, like, there's not a lot of pick and roll going on. And even if they bring a guy up to screen, Trey is rejecting it or waving it off and almost did so for the rest of the game. That what an interesting thing to Trey is one of the best pick and roll players in the league, if not the best. And they completely moved away from giving him screen help. And it was the best thing they could have possibly done for their offense. What did you think about that?
0: I had to tip my hat to Trey Young in that game. It was an incredible performance. Like I think one thing that that sucks that we don't have a bench is that we're also placing 40 minutes of um, our best players offensively on their on the opposing team's best offensive player. So going into isolation and getting a Pasco or Fred, who are both sort of limited in those in, in this game, really helped them score efficiently because Trey Young was able to get into the paint consistently, which was forcing tons of attention and allowing someone like a Capella to get a lob every time, Herder to to come off a weak side action to score. So I, I think because the Raptors are one of the best at defending pick and rolls and able to actually, they're constantly digging at you. Being able to be in isolation gives Trae Young the entire court to have vision with and able to make the best decision, which he, which he did.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was brilliant. As you say, it's like the Raptors when they're allowed to bring in help to stop primary actions, they're pretty good at getting teams to move off of it into something else like second side. But yeah. with that, This was just one of the most pure, as you stated earlier, star performances we've seen against the Raptors, even in recent years, because Trey was beating doubles. Like he was getting doubled at half court. Sure, he passed out the one time, but they also tried to double him above the break and he just split the double and then hit a floater. And then the Raptors went to like a three quarter court press and Trey just lobbed the ball off and then sprinted in open space himself to catch up the ball for a floater and like, the work he put in off the ball and on the ball to take a defensive context that really wanted to stop him, and he didn't even use it to playmake that often. He just scored over top of it. It kind of blew my mind. The The lone bright spot, though, I would say, over the two games is actually Precious Achua, fresh off of his Rising Stars performance, where he, he was able to mystify uh, lookers-on because of how... Well, we know how Precious plays, how confusing yeah. it can be at times, the decision-making and how glamorous some of his best plays can look. What did you think about Precious over the past two games?
0: I, I think he's, he, like you said, he's been one of the biggest bright spots. And I see that like he's turning into a, like a special defensive player. He's able to both able, handle his assignment with larger bigs, and he's also able to switch on the guards and funnel them into the help, which is what the Raptors do best. Um, with with precious like some of his like bigger mistakes like like you said overshadows everything that he might do at certain times, but you just like the growth that he's had over the last like three or four months shows that like he's getting it and he's doing big man things. We saw like he rolled to the basket. He was able to maybe two months ago on that um, when he got the ball in the corner, he w- probably would have shot it, but he actually digged down, got into the paint, and scored, and uses athleticism. and That's what he does best. So I I see a, a bright future with him, and I. If I were the coach, I probably would, would start him going forward, just like seeing Cam Burch get consistently killed in drop coverage and going too deep, just allow Trey to get consistent floaters all game.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's my next question probably is, wh- is Precious the starter when you're looking at OG being out or do you try and reconfigure the starting lineup so that Precious is always in the starting five? Like, has he impressed you that much?
0: I would start Precious permanently, wow. although it it gives us some like offensive hiccups when some mistakes that he does, like rolling to the basket, doesn't take necessarily the greatest roll path, and he isn't the greatest shooter at times. But I just think the defensive impact and the the help that he gives someone on Pascal, who's 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 given so much responsibility and has to be the rover and be able to switch onto several different screens, it gives us. That versatility and someone who's actually going to be impactful as a rim protector on that end. So, I, I think going forward, I, I would start him. And Kembridge is a great passer who would be great in bench lineups. Who has has a push shot, is able to make the right play. But I would say with the starters, we need someone a bit more impactful.
1: That that is the interesting part. Is Kembridge? When I think of his offensive package, I think of you know a floater every once in a while here and there he'll he's a much like a much much better short roll passer than Mm -hmm. Kim. but kim probably isn't even one of the better short roll passers in the league it's more so a comment on where precious is currently but how how many of those do you miss in a game and are the raptors creating for that type of shot that often anymore because earlier on in the year with fred i think having a lot of the offense i felt like there were a lot of short roll opportunities and a lot of pop shots sitting there. And that's where Kim, instead of precious might've given more points, but Pascal taking so much more of the offense and maybe not over these past two games, but Pascal taking so much more of the offense has created better looks than the the pop shots. It's created better looks from three. It's created more layups and precious has gotten more dunks and has just been kind of hovering around the dunker spot. A la Chris Boucher. And I think it's really worked out that way that, you can finally look and say, I'm going to take the offense-defense trade-off between Cam and Precious. I Who would you drop out of the starting lineup to make room for Precious then, when everybody's healthy?
0: Well, I, I'd hate to say this, but I would probably have Scotty Barnes come off the bench. Mm-hmm. And that, 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 that is my son. That's my favorite actor on the team. But I, I think, especially a lot of his offensive touches, we could expand... With him coming off the bench, he played relatively the same amount of minutes, but coming off the bench, he can get more lead, ball handler touches, able to utilize his, his post-ups and coming off the weak side, like we saw against um, the Hawks, where he played a lot better, just being able to come off the weak side and, and finish. So I think um, him being able to expand his offensive game on the bench might be actually the best thing for him, and as well with uh, a lineup with Precious and him out, the floor makes a lot more sense where P can be able to take the ball mid pulse, precious can sit in the dunker spot, be able to, to work off of Pascal's creation. And then you have three high level shooters all around, which is very difficult to guard. Uh,
1: yeah. yeah that's what, I, th- I think that's, I think that's the, the correct, I would agree with that. And it sucks to say because Scotty yeah. has had such a tremendous rookie year and has done a lot of things that weren't expected of him, but even when he was playing both aesthetically and, you know, you watch the tape and you see a guy who's been impressive in a lot of different areas. He's, you know, an above average offensive rebounder, one of the best in his class. He's one of the best isolation players in his class. Those two things have been standout, but his defense hasn't been good and his skill set still does mitigate some of the other guys on the roster who are much better at creating currently. And so you have to ask yourself like, what what is the best five-man lineup? And that, that definitely doesn't include Scotty Barnes right now. And then yeah. you just have to weigh, okay, well, it, it, are we are we going to risk any type of development or distaste from Scotty or how does this look? But I, I hope you would see it your way where there's more opportunity for ball handling possessions and stuff like that if he goes to the bench and he can kind of homogenize some of the bench looks into Scotty time. And I think that would be kind of awesome, but... Yeah, Precious Precious has just been tremendous so far this year. So I think it's really interesting to think about, you know, yeah. how much extra room he should get. So there's another big man on the roster. We've discussed Kem today. We've discussed Boucher sparingly, of course, but we have discussed these guys and Thaddeus Young. The Raptors traded their first round pick this year, and they got back a second round pick of the Detroit Pistons. And they, they got Thaddeus Young. Goran Dragic went the other way, which is basically like nothing. It's just salary. And the Raptors saved a little bit of money. And basically, they'll end up trading, let's say, the, if they make the playoffs, they're trading the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th pick or something like that for the 31st to 34th pick, something in that nature. That trade-off and you take on Thaddeus Young, was that worthwhile to you how do you feel about the trade after a few games in?
0: Uh, sadly, I feel the same way. I feel uh, at the deadline. I don't think it's a good trade. It ruined my day, I would say. <laughs> um, <laughs> just because uh, we, as like science, we came into the day um, hearing that like Taylor Horn Tucker was probably the most likely target, and which makes sense like on, like, on, on its face. it's He's a guard, he's able to apply rim pressure. He can defend a bit, so it makes sense where we're really lacking in, in personal guards who can actually do things offensively. Delano has been good in, and has surpassed probably everyone's expectations, but ideally you, you'd want someone who can create more in a half-court setting. Delano's at his best in transition and providing energy and being infectious in that way, but I thought the guard position was probably where we needed to address things the most. That That's a good player. And he's able to be a great connector on off bench lineups and be able to, I think we've seen the last few games, he's been able to finish off of some of the stuff that the primary guys are able to do. But we're giving up the 18th pick apparently for the 31st pick and that's a significant range. That's between um, Tyree Maxey and someone that's going into the second round. Um, and I think our greatest asset as organization has the Raptor is drafting. So I, I would ideally want them to have the largest talent pool to pick from. And with the 31st pick, I'm sure they're going to get some good guys. There are some good guys in college or hovering around the second round, but, um, I think we would have done a lot better drafting someone with the, the 18 pick is what we have currently and continuing to grow with our, our young team. It seems like we made a trade that we're probably maybe a year or two away possibly because I don't think we're necessarily contender right now, but we are a good team. I don't think that changes that at least getting us into the second round or maybe beyond. I don't think he would be able to do that.
1: Okay. So I have a statistic here just for you, Trey, and I, I'd like to hear your live reaction for it. So there are 30 teams in the NBA. You know this. Yeah. They all have among their players, among their roster, an average draft position. Boston, for example, their roster has an average draft position of the 17th overall pick. They are third. The Raptors are 29th and their average roster is the 36th overall pick.
0: What do you make of that? Uh, My aside probably means a larger race than he already got. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I would say we've had great history, and that's probably why a lot of the fan base is, is okay with the the trade. But we also saw what we did with the fourth pick, like for example, like we although Masai took someone that necessarily necessary, like the media or even the fan base wanted to pick. It's changed the landscape of our future, and if we we're able to get another pick within the within the teens, I think the last person we picked close to that range was. OG, if I'm not mistaken, he probably went like 21, and you see the impact that he's able to make. So, I I, I trust Masai. I'm sure he, we're gonna get someone great at the 31st pick. It's just difficult to, to see that we traded a pick away for someone who's in their mid 30s who isn't going to like take us to the next round.
1: Yeah, I when I when that trade came down, you and I talked about it. We talked it with, among many of us and I remember thinking not really about how much they paid but I was just watching Thaddeus Young tape and I, I was thinking about what article I was going to write and I was thinking about how Thad Young fit and then I did all the I did all the film I watched it and I came away thinking yeah Thad will help he's a good player and he's going to help but then once i got done the film and wrote my piece I kind of sat down with it and said so what did they give up and what is the, the, the high end of this trade and what is the low end of this trade? And I came around to your point of view, where I said to myself, like the low end of this trade is pretty low because, you know, as you said, it's the difference between Tyrese Maxi and Malachi Flint, maybe. And Tyrese Maxi is currently on national television right now as the third guy in the James Harden and Joel Embiid, you know, trio and Tyrese Maxi has been incredible. And there's a lot of players who in the teens get picked and are just tremendous at basketball. And if you like a guy in the draft and he starts to rise, you really will kick yourself for giving up between 12 and, I don't know, 16 spots in draft position. And that's a really, really risky play for the Raptors. And adversely, you look at me and you say, OK, well, what do they gain? And Thaddeus Young, could he help swing a playoff series? Could he even help swing a game? in the playoffs and it's really tough to see that happening and then you wonder well what is the you know what is the value intangibly can he help guys develop is he going to be like a scotty mentor all that kind of stuff the stuff we have no idea about the stuff that will only come out in two or three years and it's tough to see the top end of this trade but it's really really easy to see the low end and that's kind of where i'm sitting with it yeah
0: i think we're on the same page there I would I would love for for fad to take us into the next round. I'm that still is a possibility, but losing in the first round and then giving up, say, the 17th pick doesn't seem like it's necessarily in our best interest or in the right direction of where we're going.
1: I know you pay a lot of attention to what we have an ongoing joke is that like you start scouting when people are like seven years old, you know? Like you're like, damn, like that kid has a great wingspan, he's got a handle. He might be seven, but the Raptors might be really nice in 2041, something like that. Is there anybody that you think might be around, I don't know, the 16th to the 21st pick in the draft next year that you're worried about losing out on?
0: Oh, I would probably say and of our necessary needs, I would say Mark Williams from Duke. He fits everything that we need. He's one of the best shot blockers in in college. He's one of the best rim runners in college as, as well. He's basically everything that you'd want from Kevin Birch in, in one player. He's seven one with seven four wingspan. He's very athletic. He's able to to switch at times and play in drop coverage. So I do think with um our player development, we would have been able to to get like a, a Clint Capella type type impact uh, maybe down down the road. But um all right, we're gonna have to trust him aside and hope that he picks someone at, at the 31st range who
1: offers similar um, potential. That, that is the interesting part. It's what kind of magic can they do in the second round? And they've done it before. Well, I guess it's actually, have they? Is there like there, a standout second round pick for the Raptors? Maybe not. Norman Powell. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 46th, 46th overall. That's right. And yeah. he's really good. That's a hell of a second yeah. rounder. But yeah, Pascal's 27th. OG was twenty three. Between 20 and 23, yeah. I can't remember right now. Fred is undrafted. And Gary doesn't really count because you traded Norm, who at that point isn't valued like his second-round pick. He's valued like one of the best tertiary scores in the NBA. And yeah. Gary had already started to surpass what a second-rounder is usually worth. So, yeah, that is going to be extremely, extremely interesting. I know you are you love the idea of having a, a him, a star, a generational talent. And this is something we talk about all the time, and you look forward to drafts in the future and up-and-coming players like Victor Wemanyama and guys like that. And so once we get back from the break, we'll have a discussion about Pascal, Fred, him status, and where they're able to lead the Raptors and all that kind of stuff. But before we get into that, a quick message from our friends over at Jack Health. So if you want to get to the top of your game, Jack Health at www.jack.health is an online service for men's health that handles the doctor's appointment, the prescription, and the shipping, which, by the way, is free. All you need to do is stay home and relax. They've got stuff for sexual health, daily health, hair and skin, you name it. Order what you want, fill out some questions, and get it shipped straight to you. Skip having to lay out all your medical issues in the clinic, waiting room, whatever, and keep your private business private. Free shipping and easy prescriptions. Boost your game and do it all from the privacy of your own home at www.jack.health. Okay, so Trey, marketing whiz, how was my read-through? What did you think? Uh, You're
0: the best in the business. You know know exactly (laughs) what to (laughs) do. I can't tell
1: you anything. Okay, okay. Best in the business then. Generational talents. I (laughs) am working on a piece right now. I don't know when it's going to come out because I have to wait for Pascal to play a better game um, about Pascal kind of vying for all NBA status. Fred has had, I would say, like an in-vogue boutique type of all NBA status. You know, the, the in-writers, the guys who are more into catch-alls and analytics and stuff like that will definitely lean a lot more towards voting Fred for all NBA. And the, you know, legacy traditional media probably won't give him any attention. But the Raptors have players in that, I guess, in that area, let's say. Not the top, top end. But they have all NBA-level players if they get there, if they don't, whatever. What do you make of the, I guess, the future of this team and how Fred and Pascal both fit into it? And has that changed from the start of this year?
0: I, I would say I'm a, a lot more optimistic, especially. Just seeing how how much better they both got in their, their late 20s or mid to late 20s, I would say. I, I would say um, we, we know now that Pascal can – handle primary responsibilities even to a larger level than his all-nba season he's able to manipulate defenders with his mid-range and helped him get to the rim a lot more and him growing as a passer is probably something i don't think anyone would have saw coming into his rookie year or even his all-nba season um with fred um him being able to i think his rim numbers are still somewhat around the same as last year but He's able to at least use his body in, the, in a way that's able to attract defenders a lot more than what he was doing a year ago, and he's added some mid range craft that's made him a lot more uh, reliable scorer. so we don't necessarily see. Some of the the stat lines like he had last year, where he was a low 40% shooter high high 30s, whereas now he's 40 from three and he's um, somewhere to low to mid 40s in terms of field goal percentage. In terms of our future, I do think a lot of it will depend on Scotty, OG, and Gary. They're going to have to be able to, to one one of the three is going to have to be able to reach some level of stardom. Maybe that's all, star. that's all NBA. While Pascal and Fred are like sort of at the apex of their careers, which they kind of are, are right now. Raptors probably a, like as a franchise, I've been lucky to have multiple stars who have been all NBA level into their thirties, like Kyle and DeMar, what he's doing now into the bowl. So I, I think we have a pathway to be a contender. and I'm excited to see, especially what year three Scotty looks like with a 29 year old Pascal Fred, 26 year old OG. I think we have a, a great way to, to be a contender and something I believe in at least. Okay. So this sports media, the way we talk about
1: the game has shifted in recent years to, it's more there's more service to fandom than ever before. And so that's what we're going to do here is kind of reflect upon the way Pascal has been discussed and not in a negative way or anything, but Pascal, when he first started popping off at that all NBA season, Raptors fans, you would find it common for them to cite his late start with basketball, how fast he's progressed. And you would find people saying, this guy seems to me like he's going to be a top 10 player. You could even find people who said, he might be top five then you get you know a year and a half where he's still good but he's not progressing at the rate that people thought and people are now saying well he's not worth the contract he's you know he's washed all this different kind of stuff and now after you know i think his best stretch of basketball ever he's in the midst of his best season ever people probably have i think the most accurate portrayal of pascal that he's had in his career so far the conversation isn't really behind him. The conversation isn't ahead of him. People just view him as a all-NBA or borderline all-NBA player. Do you think that fits? Do you think that he can reasonably get better than that? What are your thoughts?
0: I, he definitely fits the all-NBA label. Uh, even last year, through some of his struggles, you saw that he was progressing pretty well. He was able to gain a mid-range shot that was forcing defenders to make decisions. He was able to get to the rim at a still a very high level despite some of the spacing issues we had, especially with um, guys sitting out in Tampa in the second half of the season. Um, and his playmaking—he's probably one of the best passing pigs in, in the league now, which is which is crazy to say. Um, the big thing last year was he wasn't hitting three-point shots, especially shots from the corner. And this season, these shots are falling. I do think he has some room to grow as probably uh, off the dribble shooter. Which will probably help him in the in the playoffs, just because defenses are naturally shrinking the floor, making you have to beat their best defender over with with help coming all the time. So I do think if he's able to become a better off the dribble shooter and hit some difficult shots, especially because the Raptors are isolate more than others, he has probably like a small step or small level to to get to, which probably makes him borderline all NBA guide to perennial or just someone that is consistently in that conversation. But I do think he can get there.
1: Okay. And so let's, let's go with the optimistic route and say he does get there and let's, let's shake hands on that. And if he doesn't, he doesn't, but as you laid out before the Raptors, their ceiling for the, because Fred and Pascal very much dictate the floor of this team and OG to some degree, but their ceiling, and the contender status that may await them in the future relies on, as you said, Scotty, Gary, or OG, one of them finding some semblance of stardom. Who are you the most encouraged by to get there? Do you think that it could end up being two of the three? What are your thoughts on that right now?
0: If, if I were to guess today, I would say I'm pretty confident Scotty Barnes will be an all-star level player at the, at the very least. He's, he's been able to probably surpass most people's expectations as a shooter. He's been able to create when um, Pascal and Fred have, have been out and missed time. He's been able to use his body, I think, especially to create space. One thing that a lot of people worried about coming into the draft being that he's bigger than the, than the typical wing. He's um, not necessarily big size, but in today's NBA, he's... The basketball player. He's able to play almost every position and defend one through four pretty effectively in the early part of the season. I know he struggled a bit now, but with his size, his feel for the game, especially as a passer at his size, he should be able to manipulate defenders in a similar way as P. I'm not sure if his handle will get ever to that level, but if the shooting continues to evolve and he's able to use his body as a in advantage creation like he is now, he should be able to get to a point where he's a consistent all-star that goes alongside Fred Pascal. And we have a big three that we can challenge the Phillies, the New York, the Brooklands, um, Chicago's of the world and contend. Okay.
1: And that leaves Gary and OG, which I think currently in the fan base are often juxtaposed because they're both young, And they're both dictating that they get more possessions on ball with Gary, a game where he gets more possessions typically looks like him taking some of Fred's playmaking packages or the pick and roll stuff that he's running stuff above the break. Typically with OG, a big game, it can look a lot of different ways, actually, you know, attacking guys off the dribble on closeouts. It could be a lot of post up possessions, which he currently takes the most on the Raptors, or it could be pick and roll possessions for him as well. He's a more diverse offensive player than Gary, but Gary is no doubt a more, um, uh, Gary Gary is more explosive on offense. And this year overall has been a better offensive player than OG. So I, I'm curious what you think about those two. If you don't want to juxtapose them, you don't have to, they don't have to be compared, but I'm curious what you think about them.
0: It's it's, it's really easy to compare it. Like I see why they're always compared. They're roughly around the same age. They're both wing players. Or we both like most of the fan base star potential in, in both. If I had to pick one of the other, I would probably say OG because he has a more consistent way to create advantages and score in the paint. I think on a another roster, he's probably their four-man, similar to like a Miles Bridges, where he switches and defends one through four, but then he's also attacking the opposing teams um big, where he has with, with OG, he actually has a, a strength advantage over a lot of natural force and speed as well. Where he's able to get into the paint and score, and then spot up and hit um, three pointers when when he needs to. Um, I would say his mid range shot hasn't come along like his, his three point shot. He um, the numbers of him off the dribble isn't necessarily where you want to be, but he's shown and he's shown flashes that he can hit those shots. And when he was struggling at the beginning of the season, he he was able to actually overcome those things and consistently score, and that's when we went on that, that winning streak. Um, when it comes to Gary, I, the reason why I would prefer um, OG over him in terms of picking who would restart him is with Gary, he's a lights-out shooter. He's been one of the better shooters in the league this season, but all the shots are hard. He doesn't necessarily create the advantages that you want him to, and most of the shots are contested. So him reaching stardom would necessarily depend on whether you believe he's going to hit um, shots at the, the apex of like uh, Devin Booker, Devin Durant, who both are like crazy athletes, but are able to hit any shot over any single person. And those are really special traits And I would probably bank on OG using his advantages that he creates consistently already going into the future with better skill.
1: Yeah, that's that's the interesting part for me is Gary. You know, as I said, has had there's more punch to his offense this season, and it certainly requires less time on ball. And when people struggle after dribbling a lot, fan bases just hate that. If they see a guy take like six dribbles and not score, they're like, this guy sucks at basketball. And Gary it will rarely ever take more than three dribbles. Like he he'll use a pound dribble to get a step back. He'll he'll use it as an escape dribble or something like that, but for the most part, it's no frills. Like he's getting to a spot, he's taking a jumper. And it's, if you believe that Gary is one of the best shooters in the NBA, then I think you choose him because great shooters, not only do they shoot the hell out of the ball, but all they have to do to become really good is make marginal steps in other ways. Like Gary Trent Jr. has had pretty good little playmaking, I don't know, stretches out of pin downs and a little bit out of pick and rolls, finding the, the role man or the short roll guy and all that is like really good. But if OG simply just shoots a little bit better off the dribble, everything kind of changes dynamically and he doesn't have to do things very difficult. And, and I think you laid that out perfectly in saying that like OG gets to spots easier. OG has more inherited advantages that don't require tough shot making that like it's easier to see OG just kind of marginally getting better and better. Whereas if Gary has a better shooting season than this, what the hell does that even look like? Because that's just flat out one of the best shooters in the world.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. I think um, both of them are are having pretty good seasons. I know some people are um, a little disappointed that OG hasn't reached like um, all-star level like what what Mm -hmm. we were seeing in the preseason. But um, I would say both are getting to a level where you... If Gary continues this, you'd have to consider it the core to be a core five if he, if he stays long-term and continues to shoot the way that he has. And I think the biggest thing that he probably deserves credit for is that he, the way that he's committed to play defense this season. Mm-hmm. We, we saw last year where he, he really struggled defending, especially in a system like the Raptors, where you're constantly stunting at the defender, recovering to the three-point line, and then also asked the score uh 30 a game, which is very difficult. Um, but he's been able to dig down, defend. And he actually has one thing I, I didn't see in Portland is that he actually has like very special hands. Like he's able to intercept balls, dig down into um, defenders' handle and actually generate a lot of pressure for the ball handler, which is really good to see. So even even at even if neither get better, I do think they're both... Wing, two wing players that are are net positives for your team. So I I wouldn't really compare the two going forward, and I would just hope that, like I said, like one of the three of Scotty, OG, and Gary reach some level of stardom so that we can use the rest of Pascal and Fred's prime and contend. And that's what they that's what they deserve because they've reached a level that I don't think anyone thought they could get to.
1: Mm-hmm. And so that that begs the question, like. They have five players and, you know, where OG or Gary progress to dictates where each one fits in and how you, whether they're the four or the five or whatever, and how that all looks and also how Scotty progresses too. But the Raptors have the bones of like a really good team and they got absolutely smacked these past two games. Do you take much stock in what's happened recently? Is this to you just like, eh, you know, sometimes you play bad. Is this, you know, indicative of a, a team that has ups and downs and can't capture anything, you know, consistent? I'm curious what you think.
0: Um, I would say that it's pretty indicative just being a young team in general. Like the Raptors have had a few thinkers already this season with Portland game, a couple Detroit games. Um, they usually don't happen back, back to back games, but I would say – it's it's, we're coming right off the break. Fred is, like you said, dealing with knee injuries. Pascal had the flu. So we're, we're not at a point where both of them can have an off game, and like like the Hornets game, and, and we'd be able to win or even be competitive. We need both of them to play very well in to win games. It's just because we have the worst bench in the NBA currently. But um, long term, I wouldn't really say this is a, an issue.
1: Mm. Uh, to quote Fred after last night's game, we play young and dumb a lot. Sometimes we get away with it. Sometimes we don't. And yeah, he's he's always had a skill for being concise and like having very good punchy quotes. But you brought up something really really insightful earlier, which was that OG maybe would would be better suited to be playing like a more of a Miles Bridges type of role, and that he's being put into uncomfortable positions on offense on this Raptors team. And so I'm curious, given that the Raptors have such a unique context, what you think about it? Because I've gotten this opinion from, you know, most people who come on this podcast, the everybody's six, nine, and we play that way. And, you know, we, we attack and we, we pressure the ball and we rotate, we stunt. What do you, and and we go after offensive rebounds like crazy. I, I am really curious what you think about this overall context that Masai and Bobby have put the coaching staff and the players in.
0: I think it provides a very great floor for your team because uh, the Raptors currently aren't necessarily the most efficient team coming coming um, offensively. But we just get so many more possessions because we have Boucher, who's crashing off the glass, Precious Birch, um, OG, even at, at times, who are long, athletic, able to wreak havoc and get extra possessions for a Fred. For a, a deep three, a Pascal for additional position. Scotty has a play play on finisher, like you said. He's also one of the best offensive rebounders we have on the team. So I do think it provides a great floor. But in the playoff situation, we we are going to need people who are who can hit shots. Just because the Phoenixes of the world, like we saw that that game where they were able to tighten down on, on defense and. We weren't getting those those um, offensive rebounds we're going to need consistent scores and right now we have pascal who's probably our best playmaker on the team. With and three other people on on our squad who actually can shoot so I don't really i'm not really concerned about like um, going doubling down on size, but I do think the size has to be coupled with skill which we're we're lacking currently.
1: Okay, and so. Are there dream prospects you see in the future? And not even just for next year, but just out out in the future guys that you you would just love to have on this team?
0: In the I'll, I'll name a couple of draft people. Um he's someone that might actually fall into our range since he is leaving school. Like someone like a Patrick Baldwin, for example, six nine, very long. If you get him to commit to defense, he should be uh a net positive and he can shoot, shoots. He can he's a what Although he isn't showing enough still in college, in high school he was hailed as one of the best shooters in the world already. Um, he's probably had too much um, burden of creation, but on this team, for example, we'd we'll be able to—he'd be getting a wide open kickout because Pascal is getting doubled by the the opposing team. So he would, getting a knockdown shooter who fits our 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 label kind of makes the most sense going forward i know we're not in the jabari smith range but i would imagine the raptors would have him number one on our board we we need shooting because we only have three people on the team and can shoot right now but i I, i'm starting to believe in the philosophy of getting as long as possible just because the the nba is a lot smaller in terms of like positionally and we've been able to overwhelm almost everybody with our our size and length and we've been able to stay in games because of that reason against teams that might necessarily have, who, who might have more talent than us.
1: And then, so the next question I have is, is it worth it to buy into this philosophy? Like would, if are, are there players that if they're available, you just say, screw it. Like this player makes us move away from this whole six, nine, everybody like size thing. How, how married are you to that idea?
0: um like generally how i think about basketball is that we should just get five good players on the floor and yeah and put them put them on the court because if we had the strategy that's like a few years ago that means that fred isn't on this team per se and obviously like he's one of the best net positives if you look at every event. that he's one of the biggest um, net positives in the league right now so i i, I think it's a strategy that does make, make sense. We see like some teams doing something similar like Minnesota, for example, with they have tons of length and size as well, defensively with a couple shot makers and playmakers, but, um, I don't think it should stop us from taking like a good basketball player.
1: Yeah. That makes sense to me. Trey, do you have any parting shots for the people listening at home before we get out
0: of here? Okay. Um, uh, I just want to say, I, I think the Raptors are going are to make the playoffs. Uh, I don't see a scenario where we lose to to the Hawks again in a potential plan. Unless Trey Young is is going to be Michael Jordan again, I, I don't think that's, that's going to happen. So, yeah, I, I, I'm really optimistic in terms of the season. Um, I want to see Precious be the starting five going forward. and um, And, yeah, just thank you for having me on.
1: Yeah, man. Just wanted to give you an opportunity to put things on wax in case you want to you want to flex the predictions later. You know what I mean? Oh, I,
0: I do have one prediction actually. Okay. If, if we play the Chicago Bulls, we're, we're going to win seven.
1: Okay. That that was for Kai. It was. <laughs> very good, very good. Trey, thanks so much for coming on, man. All right, thank you so much. And listener. If you enjoyed Trey's insights, which you know I really hope you did because they were fantastic, if you want more of them at Heath. That's H-E-A-T-H underscore check C-H-E-C-K. You can find him on Twitter for not a lot of volume on Twitter, but uh, a lot of a lot of high quality possessions, a, a true shooter as it were. And uh, so you can follow him on Twitter. Once again, Trey, thank you so much for coming on, listener. I hope you enjoyed it. Whether you got into it in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and bye.